I just always want to remember to express when I'm asked to speak what an honor it is to be asked to speak to this body. First, because, um, because of the example and the uh, word provision that our pastors make for us week after week after week after week. In Sarah and I's case, almost 18 years. We've been sit, sitting under this, these pastors and the word that they bring. But also because it's an opportunity for me to express to God and to Jesus how much I appreciate what they have done in my life. And the best thing other than a relationship with Jesus has ever happened to me is my bride of 50 years. Sarah. And Miss Becky spoke about my Christmas tie, and my wife bought this tie for me. Over the years, she has bought me four Christmas ties. And, of course, you can only wear them during the month of December. So there are four Sundays in December, so I'll wear four ties in December. And the rest of the year, I won't wear a tie. <laughs> I wore a tie for 40-some years every day, and when I left the retail business, I said I wasn't going to wear one anymore unless I just had to. But it's a joy to wear it on this occasion, particularly because my bride gave it to me. Okay. Um, as Miss Becky said, I, I was asked to bring a word just a month ago. In fact, uh, it was October the 30th. And uh, I'm going to speak on basically the same topic today. It'll be a little bit different. Uh, you could kind of consider it a sequel. And, you know, when they make a movie and then they have a sequel, they say the sequel is never as good as the original. Well, by faith, I'm believing that this will be as much a blessing as the last one. Uh, I have a problem with my nose. Yo. Pardon me for a minute. Um, did I do something? Okay. Um, I spoke last time on, on righteousness, and uh, it was connected with the series that Pastor had done about who are you. And one of the things that you are if you are a child of the living God is you are righteous. It's part of who you are. And I, I uh, talked for about 30 minutes on that last time and was really hurrying to finish. And so I, I really didn't get into everything I wanted. And then this is another message that, that I had prepared a long time ago. And uh, I have a little more time this morning. I have 45 minutes this morning. So maybe we'll get through it all. Uh, the title of this message is the centerpiece. And righteousness, the, the fact that we have righteousness that's given to us by God at the same time that we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior is the centerpiece for all the other blessings that we receive from God. And it's my belief that in the Christian world today, there's very, really, truly very little understanding of what real righteousness means to a Christian. 
I know we bandy that around and everything like that, but it's my experience that most of the church today, when they talk about righteousness, they're really talking about self-righteousness. They're not talking about the righteousness that comes to us through Jesus Christ and the, and the price that he paid for us. And so as we go through this message today, we'll try to draw, we'll try to delineate that a little bit as what's true righteousness and what's self-righteousness. So let's first go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And there, there are a couple of foundation scriptures that I'm going to give you here, but this is the first one. And this is a life verse for me. Uh, when I first became aware of what true righteousness meant to a Christian about 10 years ago when I was teaching a class on it. Uh, as I studied to teach that class, it changed my life when I came to understand what real righteousness meant and that we have real righteousness. It's not self-righteousness that we have because we can't do that. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says... For he made him, he God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, you see, we became the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. That's how you receive righteousness. It's just like you received salvation. There's no difference. So... It's important that we begin to understand where the righteousness comes from and how it works. The second scripture is Romans 3. And it just, you almost could connect those into the same, these, into the same paragraph. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter if you're old, young, fat, skinny, tall, short, whatever you are, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are that. You don't have to become that. You don't have to strive for that. You are that. So, I want to just talk a little bit about what righteousness is. And I already said it's the centerpiece for receiving God's promises. But we, I want to define a couple of terms as we go through this. And I did this with the, with the last message that I brought. But it doesn't hurt to, to hear them again. You know, I've heard them hundreds of times. And still, sometimes I have to think about what things mean. And we, as the church today, have a, have a tendency to speak Christianese. We spout all these terms, but we don't really understand what they mean, or we don't understand the depth of what they mean. So, uh, Romans 3.26 says, Righteousness is being justified. It says, To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He, that is Jesus, is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's the just and he's the justifier. So he makes us justified. Well, how does that happen? And what is justification? Justification is the result of the salvation that you receive. It goes together. And I, I have a definition here of, uh, of justification that's the best one that I've ever heard. And those of you who were here last month when I uh, talked, 
you'll know that I gave this definition then. And it's really important that we understand this definition, that we really understand what justification means, because that's what happens to you when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior. You become justified. Now, I've heard the term for years and years and years that defines justification as just as if you've never sinned. And that's real good as far as it goes, but it doesn't really get to the depth and the breadth of what that term means. And so I want to read this to you, and it's long, and it's, and it's in depth, and I have to read it because I couldn't memorize all this. But if you'll bear with me for just a minute, I think you'll be blessed by this definition. Justification is a forensic term opposed to condemnation. So if you're justified, you can't be condemned. Don't listen to the devil. The devil will try to condemn you. But if you're saved, you're justified, and you can't be condemned. As regards its nature, it is a judicial act of God by which he pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ. Now, pardon is not just forgiveness. A pardon erases it from the record. Okay? Important. He pardons the sins of those who believe in Christ and accounts, accepts, and treats them, that is, those who believe, treats them who believe, as righteous in the eye of the law, i.e., as conformed to all its demands. You've met all the demands of the law, all of them. In addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law are satisfied in respect to the justified. You've met all the claims of the law. You've satisfied them. It is the act of a judge and not of a sovereign. The law is not relaxed or set aside, but is declared to be fulfilled in the strictest sense. And so the person justified is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and rewards arising from perfect obedience to the law. It proceeds on the imputing or crediting to the believer by God himself of the perfect righteousness, active and passive, of his representative and surety, Jesus Christ. Justification is not the forgiveness of a man without righteousness, but a declaration that he possesses a righteousness which, which perfectly and forever satisfies the law, namely Christ's righteousness. So, justification enables us to have right standing with God. Whatever we do, whatever we've done, whatever we will do, we have the ability to have right standing with God. And it means that we can stand before God. We can come boldly before God without guilt, without shame, and without inferiority. And the shame part of that is really important. You know, my wife uh, lived with shame for a lot of years before she found out that she didn't have to receive that anymore. And since that time, we've, we've become aware of many, 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 many people who live with shame day after day most of their lives. And the fact of the matter is, you don't have to receive that. You don't have to receive that. I don't care what you've done. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're now justified and you don't have to be in shame. 
you can come before God and not be ashamed of your life, whatever you've done. Because, not because of you, and not because that didn't happen, but because you are justified through Jesus Christ our Savior. You know, when I, when I study that and when I talk about it, you get the feeling that, gee, that's, a, that's too good to be true. Doesn't it sound too good to be true? Well, when you got saved and you understood that you were being saved, didn't that sound too good to be true? It did to me, I can tell you for sure. How can that be possible? It's so simple and so direct. How can it be possible? But it is. And justification is the same. Righteousness is the same. You receive it the same way. You receive it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you receive all the benefits that come from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes it's easier to understand what something is by looking at what it isn't. You ever do that? We're going to look just a minute at what it isn't. Number one, it's not behavior. Look at Romans 10.4. Romans 10.4. Some of these I'm going to go through a little fast because I've got 26 scripture references here. and <laughs> Even though I have more time, <laughs> we may not get through them all. So some of them I'm just, I have them written out here and I'll just read them. And, you know, if you don't have time to get it off of the board, just write down the reference and you can look at it later. The first thing it is in his behavior. And Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So without the law, Jesus is the end of the law. So without the law, you can't break law, can you? If it isn't there, you haven't broken it. So it's the end of the law for everyone who believes. It's not holiness. Holiness is behavior. In fact, holiness... I looked in the dictionary for holiness a long time ago, and what it said was the state of being holy. <laughs> that was real helpful. <laughs> so, I looked at some synonyms for holy, and that, they were a little helpful. And some of them are devoutness, in other words, you've got to be all devout and all that, you know. I was never very good at that. Uh, godliness. I'm not for sure what that means, other than righteousness. Piety. You know, you know what piety means? You walk around with your head hung and down, and you're all pious, and you never say a bad word, you never get angry or anything like that. And piousness. <laughs> Those are the synonyms that it gave, which they're not real helpful, but uh, I think the Christian church has a misunderstanding of what holiness is, too. And holiness, basically, is just having the same mind that God has. That's all it is. Thinking like God thinks. And how do you get that? You get that from the Word. You get that from sitting under the anointed teaching of the Word on a consistent basis. That doesn't mean you come once every six months or you come at Christmas and Easter and all that. It means sitting under the Word on a consistent basis and absorbing the teaching about the Word. And by that, you gain holiness. But holiness is not righteousness. 
next, it's not something we earn. It's not something that we get by something we do or don't do. Look at Romans 3, 4. Romans 4, verse 3. It says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, Jesus Christ, who justifies, remember what justification is, the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So, it isn't something we can earn, it's just something that we do. We do, and all we do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and is there. It's, it isn't good works, it's not praying, tithing, or going to church. You know, we get the idea that, oh, I go to church every time the doors open and I pay my tithes and I do this and I do that. That doesn't make you any more righteous than the, than the believer who goes to church three or four times a year or who doesn't tithe. You're no more righteous. It just still isn't doing what you need to do as a Christian, but it doesn't make you more righteous. When you're righteous, you're righteous, you're righteous, you're righteous. And it's not good works. Good works are the result of righteousness. Yeah. Not righteousness is the result of good works. We have that backwards in the Christian church today. We think that we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we've got to do this and that to be righteous, and it's not true. So, how do we get it? Look at Romans 3. My poor Bible. Verse 21. Are you there? God's righteousness through faith is the heading on this little section in my Bible, which is really good. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law. That's an important, ver important phrase. The righteousness of God is apart from the law. Has nothing to do with the law. Apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's a couple of words in there that I, I want to define too, and I did that the last time we, I, I spoke, but there's some people here who weren't here last time, and some of you may have forgotten it, so I'm going to give you the definition again. Justified, we've already talked about. Redemption is, I, I gave a long example last time, which I won't do this time, but redemption is just paying the price to release something from captivity or from bondage. So, the redemption that Jesus paid for by his blood was the price he paid for us to be redeemed. That's redemption. 
The other word is propitiation. That's a $100 word if I ever heard one. And I, I'll bet you that there isn't one Christian in 100 that knows what it means. It's such a big word. And all it means simply means an acceptable sacrifice. That's all it means. I don't know why they had to use that big word, but now you know what it means. An acceptable sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us when he went to the cross and died there and shed his blood. It was a high price to pay, but it was an acceptable sacrifice. And then Romans 4, verse 3, says, But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And the same way that Abraham got righteousness accounted to him is the same way we get it accounted to us. We believe what God says. We believe what God's Word says. And God's Word says that we are justified by Jesus the same as we're, sanctif- uh, same as we're uh, saved by Jesus. When we're born again, righteousness becomes our birthright. It becomes something that we're entitled to. It isn't something that we have to work for. It isn't something that we have to strive for. It isn't something we have to sacrifice for. It's our birthright. You know, uh, when you're born into a family, you have a birthright in that family. You have, you're part of that family. And because you are, you're accepted in that family. You should be anyway. When we, when we are born again, we become joint heirs with Jesus. Look at Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, Jesus, death reigned through the one, Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Psalms 82.6 says that we are gods. Now it's talking about little gods, little g. We're not God big G, but we're God's little g. And as such, we are joint heirs with Jesus and we're entitled to everything that Jesus has. Everything that Jesus has a right to, you have a right to. You have a right to health, wellness, prosperity, deliverance. Any, anything that you need, Jesus Christ has earned for you. You don't have to strive for it. It belongs to you. You're joint heirs with Jesus. And a concept that was very difficult for me to accept when I first started studying about righteousness is that You were righteous before you ever sinned. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. You were righteous even in the process of sin. Even while you were doing it, you were righteous then. And you're righteous after you sin. That righteousness doesn't come and go by what your behavior is. Once you've accepted Jesus as Savior, your righteousness endures for your, forever all into eternity. Remember, it's a gift, and it comes to you by faith. You cannot earn it. Now, 
this is an important part of this, and some people would say that what I'm talking about today is preaching an easy gospel. You know, since I'm the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, I can live however I want to, do whatever I want to, and I'm still righteous. Is that true? Well, the short answer is, yes, it is. But it doesn't mean that you should just receive Jesus Christ and become righteous and then go sin and sin and sin and sin. Because the Word says in 1 John 1, 9 that if you confess your sins, he's, he's, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when that, when that verse is talking about cleansing you from all unrighteousness, it's not re-cleansing you and giving you righteousness over again. It's talking about clearing your conscience of your sin so that you can again have fellowship with, Jesus, with, with God. So the short answer is that you can sin, but you don't have to. You're not compelled by the old nature anymore to sin. The fact is that today, if you receive Jesus as your Savior and you sin, you sin because you want to. Anybody, is there anybody in here old enough besides me and maybe Brother Gordon to remember who Flip Wilson was? There's one, two, three, four, five. Oh, several. Quite a few more than I thought. Well, he was a stand-up comic, and he had a favorite phrase, you know, that he would use almost every show that he ever had, where he'd do something bad, and he'd say, the devil made me do it. <laughs> well, if you're saved, the devil don't make you do anything. That's Not anything. He can't. He doesn't have that power. The only power he has is to deceive. And he has deceived many of us into thinking that he makes us do those things. But he doesn't. We can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. The word says so. So we can sin and still be righteous, but we don't have to. We sin because we want to. Now when you do sin, even though you're righteous, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin are death. And it's not, not talking about spiritual death. It's talking about death in our relationship with Jesus Christ or with God. Sin is a seed. And believe me, it produces a harvest. All sin is a seed that produces a harvest. And what does that harvest do? It separates us from relationship with God. Because when, when we're in sin, I, I know you've all experienced this. When you've, when you've been in sin, you right away rush to God and repent. That's what we should do, isn't it? But most of us don't. What we do is we kind of hide in our mind from God. And all that does is make it worse. So we have the opportunity to sin, but we don't have to. And there is, there's a way to avoid the harvest in that. We do 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins and we get right back to God and re repent and get right back to God and walk in His fellowship again.
it's important for us to understand that when we're born again, what's reborn is our spirit. When you're born again, your spirit is united with the Holy Spirit. At that moment, and that's when righteousness comes. At that moment. It's not something that comes later on, you know. It's something that you have at that moment. But your soul, your mind, will, and emotions have to be renewed. Romans 12, 2 says that, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. If you'll think back to remember when you were first born again, uh, did you think like God thinks? I know I didn't. I still thought just like the world. And it took me years to get over that and I'm still not over it it's a process that goes on every day of your life until Jesus comes or you go to meet him in the air you know one of the two and it's well let me see how I can phrase this When, before you're born again, you have a fallen nature that you inherited from Adam. And that nature draws you to sin. And over the course of your life, as you sin and sin and sin and sin, before you get born again, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions develop those habits, those thought processes, and those things that lead you to live a life of sin. And when you're born again, your spirit is reborn, and it's righteous, and it's perfect already. But all this junk that's been inculcated into your thinking for all the years that you've lived up until then takes some time to be renewed, takes some time to be rejuvenated. And the way to do that is just like I talked about before, by, through the Word. Your mind is renewed by the Word, and... You know, you do it by reading the Word, studying the Word, and all those things. But I don't know about you, but I can read something in the Word, and unless I'm really intent on studying it out and really understanding what it means, it can kind of just be a phrase or, or a verse. It sounds good, you know, but it does, I really don't have any depth of meaning with it. I don't really have any understanding of how important it is. But if you come to church, not necessarily this church, there's lots of good churches around, but if you come to church on a regular basis and sit under a preacher who is, who is anointed to preach the Word and has studied the Word and understands the Word and, and has the benefit of years of, of uh, not only ministering himself but being ministered to by other ministers of the Word, you over time, your mind will be renewed to think like God thinks. It will be. If you'll do that on a consistent basis, there's no way that your mind won't be renewed in that process. So, I'll get off that soapbox. So, what happens when a righteous person sins? Think about it. Some of you may haven't sinned for so long that you can't remember that feeling, but I can. 
It doesn't feel good, does it? We just don't feel righteous. And it's hard. We have, to, we have to remind ourselves that we are righteous even though we don't feel like we are. And so, I, I, I don't know about anybody else, but I have to remind myself over and over and over after I sin because one time doesn't get it for me. I'm kind of hard-headed, I guess. We feel unworthy, and that's our soul. But we can't go by what we feel. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight or feeling. When we walk by faith, we're, we're walking by faith in, not faith in faith. We can't have faith in just faith. We have to have faith in something, somebody. We have to have faith in Jesus Christ that he paid the price for our righteousness, and so we don't have to feel unworthy. Uh, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit about Satan a few minutes ago, and I told you that the only tool he has is deception, and that's a fact. That's the only tool he has. But he's also our accuser. You know, the Word says that he, he stands before God and brings accusations before God about us, but we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who is up there who takes our part and reminds God that this, this person... Sarah Dunning received me as her Savior, and so she's the righteousness of God through me, and defeats Satan at every turn that way. But he also accuses us in our soul. He has no access to our spirit, but he has access to our soul. He can whisper in your ear. And I don't know about you, but he, with great regularity, reminds me of everything that I've ever done wrong. And he can make you feel unrighteous even though you really even haven't done anything wrong now because he brings up all your past. He keeps bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. Well, when he does that, what should you do? You should remind him then and there that you are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus and all those old sins are washed away and all the new ones too. The other thing that happens when we when a righteous person sins, is it makes us cowards. I talked before about when we sin and we kind of hide from God, you know. It makes us cowards. It makes us ashamed or afraid to go before God. I don't know about you, but when I've committed a sin and I haven't repented for that, I can't go to God and ask Him to help me with this or to help me with that or heal my headache or, or whatever. I don't have the guts to do that. I'm a coward that way. And I think most of us are. So it's really important that we understand that when Satan comes to us like that, we don't have to receive it. We shouldn't receive it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, as I said before, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so we try, instead of just going to God and repenting like we should, we try to regain the feeling of righteousness by trying harder. 
you know, I did this today, but I'm going to do better tomorrow, and tomorrow we do it again. You know, we try harder, or we set new criteria. We, <laughs> we kind of fudge the criteria so it isn't so hard to not sin. You know, it doesn't work, but we do it anyway. And, you know, there's, there's a phrase for that, a term for that. What's it called? Self-righteousness. Nobody is righteous through self-righteousness. It doesn't exist. But we can convince ourselves that we're righteous through self-righteousness if we work hard enough at it. Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Can't be done. So if we confess, like 1 John 1.9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus' sacrifice clothed us with righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Sin doesn't remove our robe of righteousness, but it does stain it. It does stain it. You get a spot on your robe of righteousness. But confession cleanses that spot away. Because the spot is in your mind. It's not in your spirit. So it can be cleansed. And I'm about to wind up here, so y'all bear with me. I only have about 15 more scripture references here. (laughs) Righteousness just has to be received by faith. There's no other way to get it. Romans 16 and 17. Oh, excuse me. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's an important phrase. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith is what pleases God. And that's the only way you get righteousness. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And you know, in James it says that without works, faith is dead. So when, when, when we need to work faith, how do we do that? We do it by what we say. When we speak Romans 10.8 says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. You have what you say. And if you receive your righteousness by, by faith, if you get, da- get it down into your spirit, you will be bold to speak that you have health, that you have wellness, that you have prosperity, that you have deliverance, and anything else that you need in your life. Anything else that you have need of that the Word promises. And you can feel confident 
that you have the right to receive. This is pretty serious stuff that, that I've been talking about here. And, and just before we close, I'm going to... Last time I spoke on this, uh, I had a confession that I had us all repeat. And I'm going to do that again. But this is all pretty heavy, so I'm going to tell a little joke and see if we can lighten things up and maybe <laughs> wake anybody up that fell asleep. There's this little girl who was spending the night with her grandparents. And she was sitting on Grandpa's lap and... Grandpa was reading her a bedtime story. And every once in a while, as he was reading, she'd reach her hand up and she'd touch his face and his wrinkles and all that. And she'd do that from time to time. And then sometimes she'd touch her own face. And she, you could tell the wheels were turning in her head and she was really thinking. So finally she asked Grandpa, she says, Grandpa, did God make you... And he said, yes, darling, he made me a long time ago. So she thought about that for a minute. And then she said, Grandpa, did God make me? And he said, yeah, darling, he made you just a little while ago. And she thought about that for a minute. And then she told Grandpa, she said, he's sure getting a lot better at it, isn't he? <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Okay, now everybody's loosened up and awake and everything. So, I want you all to repeat this after me. Father, I declare that I am the righteousness of God and that I rule and reign in life as the righteousness of God. I break the hold of sin consciousness over my mind in the name of Jesus. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me with your righteousness. Righteousness consciousness that I have a right to. Not because of who I am, but because of what God has declared about me. I pray that something eternal will happen on the inside of me. I thank you that a mark will be made in my life and in the lives of others that I touch that cannot be erased because I am the righteousness of God. And I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much. Miss Becky.